What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Friends to Infertility and Me podcast, a safe space created with the silent sufferer in mind. I Am Podcast is dedicated to infertility advocacy and sharing diverse stories to help you feel validated, seen, and heard. I am your host, Monique Farouk, and I am one in eight two. Healing is best when done together. Could you please do me the honor of leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes? This will increase our show's ranking and reach more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. We're stronger together, staying connected, getting plugged in. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. Thank you, friends, for being here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If this is your first time listening, I appreciate you for tapping that play button and pushing that download button. I do not take it for granted that you have chosen to listen to this episode on your free time or in your car commuting or on your way to the grocery store. If you would like to be a guest on the Infertility and Me podcast, you can reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com and hit the tab, get in touch, and you can fill out the brief form and be considered for an episode on the podcast as well as anonymously on the podcast and submit yourself to be on the podcast and record with me. And if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, you can find me at Infertility and Me Podcast on there as well. Lots of content for you there. Just holding space for you guys as much as I can. And as always, Omar is here with me. So you may hear some noises in the background from him. Try to keep it at a minimum as much as I can. But if it's too distracting, I completely understand if you need to skip over the episode and come back to it at another time. Today, we are with the Ladies of Infertilidad Latina podcast. And they are LGBTQ plus as well as hetero sexual relationships going through infertility and trying to conceive with their spouses. Their names are Jasmine, Audrey and Blanca. They actually met each other on a line and started a podcast together and are holding space for other Latina and Hispanic men and women and couples. And I just love what they are trying to accomplish with giving information and resources and bringing awareness to infertility in the uh, Latina and Hispanic communities in Spanish and in English. And I think it's amazing. And I think that they will be around for a very, very long time. And it is much, much needed um, for representation. And today they just talk to us a little bit about their own stories and how they have navigated that especially now during covid and so just tune in for one more second friend and the ladies will be right back on the line with us thank you friend all right guys so we're back with our girls jasmine audrey and blanca 
the ladies and hosts and creators and of uh, Infertility Dad podcast uh, representing the Latina community. And they're going to tell us a little bit about their each individual uh, stories of infertility and then also how they came together to create this wonderful podcast to bring awareness to the Latina uh, community, Latino community, I should say, and uh, LGBTQ plus as well. So thank you guys so much for coming on the pod. Um, I just appreciate all three of you coming on and making time for today. Tina, which is uh, our new little podcast where we talk about infertility in the uh, Hispanic community, Latinx community. Um, and we do it in Spanish, English, and Spanglish, just in case there's uh, any confusion. We we do a little bit of everything. Yeah, I think that's so wonderful, and it's um, it's, it's much needed. Much, much needed because um, when I started a year ago and I searched for um, other brown girls like myself doing it, it wasn't, you know, very far in between, you know, very far in between. And so I was uh, I was really excited when I saw you guys on Instagram and I was like, oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful because I do get DM sometimes from uh, Latino and Hispanic women looking for other podcasts that uh, speak in Spanish. And so it's, it's amazing. And um, yeah, I'm just so glad you guys were able to come on the pod today. So I don't know who wants to go first, Jasmine, Andrea Blanca, just as far as in terms of your, your fertility status and what your diagnosis is and where you are right now. Yeah, I'll get started. Um, my name is Jasmine. I am uh, currently in a pause. Uh, my wife and I tried uh, three cycles of IVF. Uh, we took the embryos or the eggs out of my wife. We took donor sperm, fertilized them, and we had uh, four healthy embryos. We transferred them all through three cycles, and unfortunately, they didn't work. The last transfer I had ended in a pregnancy, and then a couple of weeks later, we lost it. So I had a miscarriage in November. Um, and now we're just kind of in a pause waiting to see what we're going to choose to do next. Um, and it's, uh, I, I'll be carrying the, uh, baby. My wife, uh, had a hysterectomy a year ago, so she was able to get her eggs out, uh, right before the surgery. So, uh, I'm hoping that in the next couple of months, maybe I can do a couple of IUI cycles and see if that works for us. Thank you, Jasmine. Yeah. And, um, my, 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 give my, my sympathies to you for the unsuccessful, um, you know, the, your last cycle and how all that transpired. So I'm, like Jasmine, I'm on a pause from my treatments at the moment. Um, I've only had one egg retrieval done. And prior to that, we tried four IUIs and timed intercourse. And, of course, none of them resulted in a pregnancy until one of my FETs um, ended up being a biochemical. Um, so after all of that mess, I just decided that my body, my my mind, I just needed a break. Um, and obviously, like financially as well, because our insurance doesn't cover any of it. Um, so... Now I'm just, it's been almost a year. Yeah, I guess by the time the podcast comes out, the episode, um, it will be a year that I've been on a break from everything. Yeah. 
comes where you are in your in your journey? Sure. Um, I'm Audrey. I'm in Atlanta. It's been a roller coaster. I have done the, t- the normal TTC, IOIs. I had a laparoscopy, and after that laparoscopy, laparoscopy, I was able to conceive twice um, the conventional way. Unfortunately, both were miscarriages, and we decided to go into IVF directly after that. And we've done three retrievals, um, four transfers with healthy embryos, and they've all end, have ended up in either no implantation or miscarriages in the first trimester. And it got to a point that I emotionally just couldn't continue. So we're seeking service in Ukraine now. Um, we're sending three healthy embryos. It's a lot of paperwork. We're dealing with that. And also tomorrow I start my fourth um, app retrieval stimulation process because just sending all my embryos to Ukraine is a little scary. And we, we want to make sure that we can bank embryos for anything, if anything happens. Oh my gosh, like, well, first of all, how do all you guys know each other? Because two in, are, in a, are in the South. Well, all you guys are in the South, but two live in the same state and, and the other one is farther South, right? So I met Jasmine through the Atlanta TTC support group. Um, back then, you know, pre-COVID, we were able to meet once a month in person, a group of ladies in Atlanta, and just talk about of our process. And it was really nice. And then when things started getting virtual, I met Blanca in a Zoom meeting and I just wanted, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while and I bounced it off them and they were like, yes, let's do it. They were on board and within months, Infidia Latina started. Wonderful, wonderful. I just, um, <laughs> you know, it never ceases to amaze me how we, how we find um, new and form new friendships because of uh, trying to conceive and if we've been diagnosed with infertility. So I think it's amazing what you guys are doing, uh, especially because it's not like a situation where you're coming together to do a podcast and you've known each other for like years and years and years. You know, that's typical co-host and hosting situations for podcasts. So I I applaud you guys for being able to do that and support and hold space for each other and for others. It's truly, truly, truly needed within this space um, that can be very, very uh, Caucasian and um, not a lot of representation. So I hope you guys can continue it for as long as you can. And um, again, I just appreciate you guys for being here. What I wanted to ask you guys as well is how or what is the most significant way you would say that going through all of this has changed you, whether it be negative and or a positive change? I guess I can, I can go. I have le- really learned to say no to people. Before, I was such a people pleaser. I couldn't say no to baby shower, to a birthday party, anything. I would be there for everyone. But going through, I think this all started while I was going through my IUIs, that I realized that I was hurting from the inside, and I just could no longer put a happy face for the world. <laughs> and I lost friendships because of it. But I said, no, my mental health comes first. Um, so I think it was a, a the good side of it that I learned how to put my own mental health first. Jasmine, yeah. what's been the hardest part for you in, in terms of how 
change throughout this process? Oh my gosh. I feel like going through fertility treatments has changed every single component of my life from financial to communication to just mental health. I mean, it's changed everything. Um, but the, I think what comes to mind the most uh, is self-care because I thought I'm in the LGBT community, right? So I went into fertility treatments obviously needing to because I have a wife and so we obviously naturally can't conceive, but I didn't assume I was infertile. Um, and it wasn't until about a year later after treatments that they diagnosed me and I was like, oh man. So it was, it was a shock that infertility still affects the LGBT community and uh, assuming that I wasn't infertile mm -hmm. was a big uh, change for me and just having to look at myself and my habits and my health and, and really invest in myself before going through treatments and that's kind of what I'm doing now it's like okay for all these years I've assumed that I was fertile so I just didn't change anything about how I behaved um, and then finding out I wasn't fertile, I've now had to have a whole lifestyle change to support fertility. Um, so every decision I make from mental wellness to physical wellness is really for the fertility journey. Um, and it's, it's taught me, like, if you don't invest in your own wellness, fertility treatments is not going to go the way you want. Um, so for me, it's been about mindfulness and, and actual physical well-being because it's it's just not going to work if you aren't paying attention to how you eat and how you behave and your mental health. It's it's all correlated to that success. Yeah, I totally agree. And what exactly is your diagnosis? I think I want to find. Out. I have yeah, it's like I have unexplained infertility. Okay. They uh, said I have an autoimmune issue. They okay. can't quite put their finger on what it is. They think it's endometriosis, but they mm. haven't seen any significant amount of endometriosis. But I get ill a lot, um, and so they're assuming endometriosis, but they don't quite know. So right now it's unexplained. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. Audrey, Audrey how, how, how are you different now because of going through the process of trying to conceive and having reproductive assistance? I think I'm more realistic. I don't want to say pessimist, but realistic. Um, because going back, you know, I thought the next step would always be my answer. You know, when I was doing TTC, I thought IY and then the laparoscopy and then for sure IVF was going to work. Um... But just setting realistic expectations, knowing that there's, I'm still very grateful that science and God is allowing me to try to have a baby via surrogacy. So I have that present, like, it is still possible. And even if I don't have a baby through surrogacy, there are other ways that I can be a parent. So setting that realistic expectation and growing stronger has definitely changed me. Have you all feel, do you all feel like it's different now or how is it different now trying to move forward um, with COVID in the midst of all this? Oof. COVID it put a wrench in it, mm -hmm. especially because uh, our partners were able to go with us to appointments and kind of 
be support systems during, you know, procedures and, you know, even having them in the waiting room with you to like, you know, be like, okay, this is what we need to ask. This is what we're going to advocate for. Mm -hmm. And then now they have to kind of wait in the car or not go. Um, I think COVID has kind of taken that support system away from us in the waiting rooms. Um, and it's, it's, it's a lot harder too, because it can, you can have closures in your cities. Like when I was going through IVF, my second round, they, the clinic decided to shut down completely. And so we had started medications and then they were like, Hey, sorry, we're going to have to stop because of COVID. So it just, it, it's just not in our control what happens with COVID. And so it, it's like you just have to give up that sense of control and support, really. Yeah, yeah. I, oh my gosh! And then it's it's and then because you don't have like any end in sight, really, because we have all these shortages with the with the vaccine, right? And for those mm-hmm. who want to take it, um, and then medical professionals, not even not even all medical professionals having the access to the vaccines, um, doctors and or nurses or any level. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah. That's- yeah, and interestingly, too, like, I uh, ended up having a reaction to estrogen. They, I was taking estradiol wow. for a cycle, and I experienced a sore throat. And so mm-hmm. I was, like, two days before my frozen embryo transfer, and uh, I felt a sore throat, but I haven't been around anyone. I mean, I've quarantined since March of last year. And I told my doctor, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm having these symptoms. I'm having a sore throat. And they were like, oh, nope, you have COVID. You need to cancel your transfer. You have to go get COVID tested and make sure. Even though they just had given me a COVID test and it came out negative. And I was like, well, there's no way I have COVID. I've literally not been around anyone. And you just gave me my results and they were negative. This is, a, you know, a symptom of the medication Mm -hmm. and I mean it's just like because of COVID now you have to go through all of these obstacles too to prove that you don't have it even if you have an unrelated illness now everyone just assumes it's COVID and it literally put a stop to one of my transfers yeah I'm, I'm, I'm finding that a lot of people even more recently I think after the holidays too and with the sudden spike because of the holiday gatherings, I have an issue too, but I know all this was for you, was, you know, long before the holidays and stuff like that, so, oh my gosh. Yeah, my miscarriage was during the holidays, that was awful. What was that, December, you said, earlier? I had it, I, so I literally, on Thanksgiving Day, on Thanksgiving Day. Okay. I had to get two shots of methotre- uh, methotrexate, I think it was, um, and then had to miscarry at home, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so that was rough. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Blanca, was it you or was it Audrey that said that you experienced chemical pregnancy during one of your cycles? Um, I had the biochemical. Yeah. Um, mine wasn't far along, I guess. Um, it was, I had my first beta and it came back positive, but the numbers weren't great. So then when we went back for the following beta, they told us, yeah, it's not doubling. This is most likely a biochemical pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And they just told me to stop all meds. Okay, okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure I hear it correctly. Wow. Oh, 
Oh my gosh. So what what are you guys doing besides podcasting and like letting that be I imagine with you podcasting now together, it has brought some healing for you emotionally. Um, oh my gosh, yeah. yes, it has. And just having that sisterhood together, right? Yeah, I'm so thankful for Adriana for coming to me and asking me to be a part of it because this has been my salvation, honestly. Um, whatever input I can put for towards the podcast, it's more like helping me than me actually helping in the podcast. Yeah, I totally get it. I totally, totally get it. And it's almost like you look forward to you guys' time together when you have your recording days and just, I don't know, just something special about when women coming together and um, sharing the same frequency and energy about a situation or a passion project. Um, yeah, yeah, so I, I resonate with that a lot. Do you guys feel like, do you, do you, what's the word I'm looking for? Do you guys feel like, or, well, how are you dealing with it now? Because here we are a year into COVID, right? And everybody's on pause right now for at least for you guys. And I think one of the biggest things is that inner community and the Latinx community, we're not big in therapy. And it wasn't until like we started really the, the podcasting and like the Instagram that I was able to connect with another podcast that focuses on therapy. And I kept writing their posts and I'm like, okay, it's, it's time. It's time for me to seek virtual therapy. Um, one of the biggest struggles I had was finding a provider that could meet with me due to my like work restrictions, but also be covered with by insurance. I was finding infertility coaches and infertility therapists but they were charging like $150, $200 more yeah, yeah. when I had coverage. And I'm, I'm a type of person that if I have a, a benefit, I don't, I don't want to be paying extra, right? So I was able to have this time to actually Google and search and find a therapy, therapist that focused on infertility and that was covered by insurance. And that has been big. Um, just trying to seek therapy because this is too hard for just... Even though we have this community that's great and I'm grateful for Blanca and Jasmine, it's also too much of a heaviness to put against them too. So you kind of need that bipartial medical professional also that can help you heal. And that's been, I mean, it's been 33 years of my life and I've never had seen a therapist before and it's now that I've been seeking that. Yeah, I resonate with that because I mean, in the black community, it's pretty much the same way with, you know, the taboos with certain things. And the taboos about mental health therapy, and you start, it's like this perceived notion that you got to be like out of your freaking mind, batshit crazy in order to seek it. And those are the only kind of people who do seek it and pay money for it, or however, you know, however it comes about. So, yeah, I think it's interesting too. Sorry, um, with the black and Latin community too, it's like we're so new to fertility treatments that we. Through talking with one another, we realize that like a lot of the tests and the like the benchmarks in fertility are based around white women's data. And so a talk, talking amongst one another, we're like, even when we were talking about ERA results and being pre-receptive and post-receptive, through every single person we've spoken to in the Latin community, they've been pre-receptive versus post and it's just like there's no data for the black and brown women 
infertility. It's almost like we have to be advocating for that data or even talks amongst ourselves to have like that scientific benchmark for our own self versus white women who react to medications differently than we do. So it's important for us to communicate so that we can then advocate for ourselves in this community where like black and brown women really haven't had the resources or the financial means mm -hmm. to access fertility and reproductive like assistance. Yeah, and another thing to add to that, I think like for for our communities, like I've had conversations with people I know personally, and since I came out with my fertility journey and then having the podcast and stuff, they'll call me and be like, I have a diagnosis too, um, and I just didn't want to spend the money. Like they had the opportunity to do it, and they just said, you know, I'm not going to spend my money on this, 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 and this. You know, no shade to you or anything like that. But they're like, I mean, I could think of so many other things I want to do with my money. If I, if it's in God's will, it's in God's will. And I think our moral beliefs um, have a lot to do with that too, because we just, we just can't. A lot, I'm telling you guys a lot. I don't know how what your experience has been with other Latino women, but like. Men, black men, and, and women I've talked to, they like, sis, I don't want to spend the money to <laughs> get, get fertility treatments when I can just, like, put that money on my mortgage or buy a new car, you know, or something like that. So, that's, um, I think you brought up some really interesting aspects of the black and Latino communities and how we deal with things. And then also the, um, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The fact that the data that's there, it's very vague concerning our uh, communities. And I think the data is kind of outdated, too, at the same time. Um, a lot of the research I find is not anything, like, really, really, really current. Yeah, and, like, as in women in general, we all have this, like, collective uh, lack of equal pay in general and then we are minorities in the population of our country so then it's like we're battling so much to be paid equally and then to be paid equally for our work mm -hmm. and then that means that most of our money if not all of our money goes towards our basic needs so who has the extra thirty thousand dollars to try to reproduce when you have this infertility issue like none of us really have it And, like, my wife and I, we had to move. We had to sell our home, and we had to move, and we had to downsize, and we had to mm -hmm. figure mm -hmm. out creatively how we were going to try to access this fertility treatment, and then it didn't even work, right? right. So we spent over $30,000 our first year doing fertility treatments, and then it didn't even work. So now we're, like, literally left with nothing after spending thirty grand plus. Um, trying to conceive and like we don't we don't have anything to show for it so it's like it's such a gamble and then when we look at the data it's like oh all of this data is based about case studies with white women like none of it was with latin or black women and i'm in an interracial relationship so it's mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. what is it going to take for doctors to study black and brown women and you know tailor our protocols Mm -hmm. towards our ethnicity and race like we're not we don't react the same to white women it's different yeah you know it goes down i guess the correct term would be like uh not well not necessarily genetically but i guess uh biochemically 
you know, there's yeah. some differences there, you know. And uh, like you said, you know, even though we are, we all come from the human race, we are, you know, being that we have uh, different DNA, you know, some of our DNA is not the same. And that's just a fact. And um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree and resonate with everything that you just stated. And um, I don't know what it's going to take, but I hope they find a solution soon because it's just, it's too common for there not to be any updated data. And another issue I see is as being in the South, right? We have these tests that are coming out, like the ERA and the receptiva, and reproductive immunology is coming out. But then in being in a Southern state, you have conservative doctors that say, no, that that when you pro- actually propose to do a study or, or something you read in a paper, they're like, no, that, that doesn't have like science behind it or it hasn't been scientifically proven yet. They're not willing to try, and when you have you have had so much loss, you're spending thirty thousand dollars, like Jasmine said. Like it's, you should be able to at least try something that has been studied or it has been put out there. Um, and I think look, that culture of being conservative needs to change a little bit because you know. It, 10 years ago, they were putting in three or four embryos, and it was high risk. And I understand being a little bit more conservative, but they did it because, you know, they learned about genetic testing. And I wonder back then, right, if what were their thoughts on PGS testing? They need to get up to date with, like, all the ERA and all the receptiva tests um, to just make a change and, and make it work for the people who have a lot of losses. Sorry, guys. He was talking. <laughs> oh, no worries. Wait, we like that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, you guys. It's like so much. Like, he sounds young. How old? <laughs> He's four. He just turned four. He's like my oh. boss and stuff. He be bossing me yep. like all day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Baby boss. Yeah, we had him. He was born um 2017, January 2017, after four years of infertility and, um, we getting ready to try for a sibling soon, so I don't know what that's going to be like, because I'm, like, wow. almost 40 and stuff. It's crazy. It's going to be a ride. It's going to be a ride, but what can we do, right? But I, you know what? All that, you guys, I totally resonate. Like, we downsized before having IVF treatment with Omar, and, you know, because it's like, okay, I'm going to downsize and, 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 and get this extra money, but then we're still going to have to buy a new house at some point that's a little bit bigger to accommodate the child. Like, for instance, we had a two-level condo that was two bedrooms, you know, and then we knew we were going to need a house, you know, with the yard in it at some point, right? Yeah, and it's hard. It's like, we, like who has the type of income right now to, like, even accommodate mm-hmm. a $30,000 experiment? Yeah, and I think that's the hardest part when people, especially in our communities, make the decision to move forward. It's like, okay, but this is not even guaranteed. Like, you look at the statistics for the average success rate, it says at least three cycles, and then it's like only still 30 to 40% chance of it being um, effective and you getting a big fat positive and carrying to term. Because then after you get pregnant, you have to worry about carrying to term, and you're a high-risk pregnancy after you have IVF treatment. You know, it's just all these different variables um, to consider when making the decision to move forward, which I think that, you know, we, we as, a, as a, you know, black and Latino community, Hispanic community, we um, 
ended up ultimately making the decision to stop and or not moving forward at all, you know. And so what kind of awareness besides being a face and a voice for Latino and Hispanic women and men in LGBTQ plus communities, what, what, what other, I guess, one or two things that you guys really hope to accomplish with your podcast and the work and the advocacy you guys are doing together? We're I mean, hoping I to be able to provide yeah. resources. Go ahead, Audrey. Go ahead, Jasmine. No, no, you're good. We're hoping to provide resources in Spanish as well. We've started a, our, pa- our page, www.infidilalatina.com. And we're trying to work with other nonprofit organizations as well to see if we can create more Spanish content. Because um, I think the feedback we've gotten is the Spanish content is, is needed, right? To be able to feel that connection and to, and to have access to it because the reality is a lot of Latinx families are here in the States but they don't speak English. But yet we don't want to deviate from that a lot because we know a lot of Latinx second and third generations, they are Latinx, they have the culture, but they don't speak Spanish. So we're, we're just trying to to navigate that, how we're going to be able to provide tools for all of the worlds. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I just cannot praise you guys enough for, for doing that. And then, like, all while still in the thick of you guys' own paths to parenthood, you know, even though you're on pause for right now, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're still very much in the thick of it. And being able to give yourself freely like that, is uh is is truly admirable and um i know that it's impacting the lives of many 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 families um along the path to parenthood and if there was anything that you could say to one of our listener friends today maybe they're just starting out um very new and something significant each one of you would want them to know what would that be man that's that's a hard one because it's just like <laughs> no, right? you have to navigate with such forgiveness and grace towards yourself because I think what comes at you when you're the person who's trying to conceive is that there's so much expectation toward what your body's going to do like my wife and I assumed we would get pregnant and I haven't and then I've had to coach my family both hers and mine, to like, what is fertility treatments? How do you speak to me? Like, what is the science behind it? So it's like, I'm a coach towards everyone who's never had exposure towards fertility. And then I'm also trying to manage my own needs and expectations. So it's like, there's this duality towards like black and brown you know, communities not really being familiar with infertility and infertility treatments in general. So, like, I'm the face of it for them, and then I'm also trying to go through it. So it's like you have to just do what you can and not sacrifice your needs for what you need to explain to people. Like, it's okay to be upset at how someone approaches you with questions. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Because before I thought like, oh, it's okay if they're ignorant about it. That question was hurtful, 
but I'm their coach. And it's like, you know, sometimes people can't just educate themselves. Um, and you don't have to be everything for everyone because you are trying to conceive. You are full of hormones. You are literally putting your body and your mind through so much. Don't, like, expect people to be ignorant. Like, expect more out of who is around you. Because if they care, they should be better. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I've, I've we've had a lot of, like, emotional crisis with the way people have asked us things or approached us. And we've felt more guilt, you know, with the way that people just say whatever comes in their mind. And, and that's not appropriate. And you don't have to accept that. And, like, everyone has said, like, you've lost friends in the process because people are just kind of cruel about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And you have to take care of yourself first. Jasmine, before we go on, Audrey and Parker, I'm sorry. Jasmine, I wanted to ask you, did you have any trouble with your insurance in trying to get them to cover certain tests and things like that for you guys to move forward at certain parts of your process? Oh, yeah. My insurance doesn't cover anything. Uh, You know, we're in the South, so fertility treatments are not covered at all. Um, and then my wife had to have a hysterectomy because she had fibroids. So, um, it's crazy. And and in women's health, right, because we're also in that segment of things like women's health is not covered by insurance in a disproportionate amount. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, no, our insurance didn't cover anything. And so we've, everything that we've gone through with fertility treatments has been out of pocket. It's like, um, I can't even, it just that just pisses me off because, like, you can't even pay for a sonogram. You know what I'm saying? Nope. Or the HSG mm-hmm. testing, you know? It's so crazy to me that we still have to deal with that. And there's and they're not even pay, paying for a preliminary testing, you know? That freaking sucks. Okay, we're not going to get upset today. We're going to keep it. Hello, <laughs> we're not going to get too pissed off about it all over again. Oh, my freaking goodness. So, Blanca, what, what is something that you would want a fertility friend to know? Uh, I'll go out first. Okay, yeah, sure. Because I want Blanca to close. Okay. Um, I want to tell the listeners that if there's a will, there's a way. Keep pushing. It's hard, but you know what? It's possible. You can downsize. You can look for a state that covers infertility. You can work for a company. You can look for a company that covers. So I am in the South, but I purposely looked for an employer that was headquartered in California and was able to cover those benefits. Um, and, and again, like if there's a will, there's a way educate yourself. There's grants, surround yourself with people from diversity that have different journeys that are from different backgrounds. They can give you the idea. I would never have thought about seeking surrogacy because I thought that was not something a Latina would do. And it wasn't until I met one of my friends that I was like, yes, I can do it. Oh, and I can go abroad and, make it more affordable because in the States surrogacy, that's another topic. It's ridiculously expensive and unaffordable. Um, but yeah, so two of my favorite quotes would be, um, you can do hard things. And if there's a will, there's a way. Okay. Um, so the, because a piece of advice that I could give someone, it's that it's okay to take a break. Take a pause, step away from the treatment if you know that it's not good for you anymore. Um, 
I was losing my mind. I was, my personality was changing. I noticed how angry I was, and I said, enough. I need to think of myself first. So I know that we're working against the clock in this fertility world um, because every second you get older, and, and that's what's in my mind. This whole year I've been thinking my eggs are getting older, my eggs are getting older. But it's okay because I've been focusing on myself because if you if you can't put yourself first, it's hard to be there for anything else. Um, so just to anyone who's out there listening, just know that it's okay to take a pause. You are allowed to do so. And you're not alone. Um, no esta sola. This is what we've been trying to tell the world, that we're here for you. There's more women like you. We're here for everyone. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, guys. Ah, we're gonna get through it though, right? We're gonna we're gonna push through one moment, sometimes one minute, sometimes one second, and just taking it step by step and uh, doing the best that we can. And, and that's all we can promise ourselves is just doing the best that we can. And and I um I I, I just love that you guys are be able to be there for one another and hold space for one another on and offline and outside of you know, the walls of social media and, and just really having a sisterhood together, even though it sucks that it was effing fertility that brought you guys together, you know? <laughs> yeah. So tell us how we can connect with you guys on Instagram, if you're on Facebook. And of course, I'll have a link for you guys' podcast in the details so that our friends can go there and listen as well and subscribe. You guys better freaking subscribe, okay? Yes. So, Jason, do you want to give that a tad bit? Yeah, so you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, and it's called Infertilidad Latina. We also have an Instagram um, by the same name. It's called InfertilidadLatina.com, and we will spell it out for you um, in the description because I know that's kind of hard in Spanish. Um, but, yeah, we speak English, Spanish, and we have you know, all types of guests. Um, and you can find us uh, on Infertilidad Latina at Gmail as well if you have any specific questions for us. Thank yeah, you, we recently, so, so much. Thank you right. so much for the time. And we are so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. All of the details for the ladies and how you can connect with them on and offline and through the podcast will be in today's, today's show details. So make sure you look out for that so you can tap and go. Peace and blessings. If you enjoyed today's episode, friend, take a screenshot and let me know on Instagram and tag Infertility and Me podcast. You can also reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com with your questions, comments, and feedback. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.